0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from September 13th by Pastor Randy, titled, Dealing with Difficult People, Part 3. So last couple Sundays we've been dealing with people who have hurt us, taken advantage of us, uh, insulted us, somehow done evil toward us. And at least one person has been listening. You don't know what it does to a pastor to know that somebody has listened to the sermon and they're actually making changes in their life. Because I know one person has been listening and they can choose to make changes in their life. This is evident when you call them up and listen to their message. Because it says, I'm not available right now, but thank you so much for caring enough to call. I've been making some changes in my life. So after this message, after the beep, leave a message. If I don't return your call, you're one of the changes. I I know they're going to return my call sooner or later. But anyway, here's the point. You can't make enough changes in your life to avoid all difficult people. Because difficult people, they're everywhere. They're at work. They're they're at school. they're, They're going to be at home even and at church even. Difficult people are everywhere. And I believe this. I believe God puts difficult people in our lives on purpose so that we'll learn how to love other people as he loved us. And there's a small town outside of Alberta, Alberta and outside a small town, there are two fences that are two feet apart. And these two fences, two feet apart, parallel each other for over a half mile. And here's the story behind that. This farmer over here decided he wants to put some cows on this part of his pasture. So he goes over here to this farmer And says, I'm going to put some cows up. We need to put a fence up. Will you go in half with me and split the fence? That's just kind of how farmers handle such things like that. But this guy says, no, I'm not going to do it. Gets a little bit huffy. Well, two weeks later, this farmer who said he wasn't going to do anything about building a fence has actually put a fence up. So this farmer goes and says, I know you put a fence up. He says, yes, I had my land surveyed. And I put this fence up two feet inside my property line. So here's the property line. He puts his fence two feet inside his property line and says, if any cows get on my property, I'm gonna kill them. So now this farmer has to put a fence up on the property line to keep his cows off of his other two feet of property there. That goes to show the pride that people have and how how difficult people can be a lot of times. Across the street from where I live, my neighbors across the street, they have six-foot wooden fences, both of them, and they're about this far apart for about 20 or 30 feet. Why is that? Why do you have fences that far apart? And we look at things like that and we go, how silly that is. How silly is it for people to to respond to, to other people that way until somebody does something to us, until somebody takes advantage of us, until somebody... Is rude to us till so somebody insults us, and then it's all bets are off. Then we want payback. Then we want to get even, and we think, oh, it feels so good to get even. Now, back when I was about fifteen years old, I opened my first checking account, and I had three choice of checks, and they were just slightly different colors, was all. I guess I better back up for some of you. Checks are these little pieces of paper. That, that you, you write on them, you write who you're going to pay the check to. It could be to the bank or to some bill or something like that you're paying or, or to the church or whatever it may be. And they take that piece of paper and they give to their bank, which goes back to your bank, and then they send money from your bank that to their bank. Anyway, that's what a check's all about. They're like the great-great-grandfather of debit cards. So you had three choices. But then about 20 years later... All of a sudden, you don't have three choices. you got hundreds of choices, in some cases, thousands of choices on what you want your check to look like, any background. And then they come out where you could put anything you want to on your check. You could, you could put a picture of your grandchildren as a background on your check. You could put a picture of that, that bull moose with five brow tines, 60-inch spread on your, on your check, anything you wanted to. Well, this one guy... He's paying alimony, so he orders these special checks to pay his alimony with. And on every one of those checks that he fills out once a month is a picture of him kissing his new wife. That's the society that we live in. That's the society that we live in. The golden rule says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But we say, do unto others as they have done unto you. To get even, to get back. You know, it could be your... um, your boss that mistreats you, or a police officer that mistreats you, or it could be you feel like your parents unfairly grounded you, or some case like that. What we'll do, we'll bow up, won't we? We'll have an attitude. We'll show up to work late. We'll do some something, even if it's passive aggressively, we'll do something in order to get even. That's that's just a, the the way that we live in our society. We'll do as little as possible. If that's the case, whatever it is, we'll try to get even. And there's three problems with that when we try to get even. Problem number one you believe that by wounding somebody else, it's going to, you have to understand by wounding somebody else, it'll never help you relieve your wound, it'll never help you heal your wound. See, people think it'll feel so good for me to get back at them. It's going to be so satisfaction. That's a lie. That's what the world says. It's going to satisfy you and bring some fulfillment. It doesn't do that. That's a lie. The second reason why you shouldn't choose to get even is because things just get worse. What if you can't get back to the person who, who hurt you? You know what people do when, when they can't get even with the person who hurt them? They'll go and they'll hurt somebody else the same way that they were hurt. You ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? It's true. So when you try to get even, it can get even worse. And the third problem with getting even is that you're even. Why would you want to be even with somebody who hurt you? Why would you want to, to, to do to somebody else the same way they've done to you? Why would you want to be even? Why wouldn't you want to get ahead? How do you get ahead? Instead of returning evil, you return a blessing instead. You do good to them instead. You say good things about them instead. Why would you just want to be even? Listen to these verses in Luke chapter 6. But I say to you who listen, love your enemies Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone hits you on the cheek, offer the other also. And if anyone takes away your coat, don't hold back your shirt either. Give to everyone who asks you and from someone who takes your things, don't ask for them back. Just as you want others to do for you, do the same for them. If you do what is good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do what is good. Lend, expect nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For He is gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. How do you do that? How do you get ahead? Because what we're told right there is, look, if you just loan the people who loan to you and you just love the people who love you, God hasn't made any difference in your life at all. If you choose to get even, you choose to get back at people, you choose to, to say bad things about people who you don't like and who, who has values and things that you don't agree with. God hasn't made any difference in your life at all. So how do you get ahead? How do you get ahead? This is what we read in Matthew 5.41. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Imagine yourself as a Jewish boy, and you're working in the garden beside your house. And a soldier walks by. He says, Hey, boy, come carry my pack. You see, that word force that we read up there, when, if he to forces you to go, one mile, go with him too. The word force means to press into service. Because back then, it was a law that a soldier could, could temporarily deputize you in a sense, could press you into service. It's what happened when Jesus was carrying his cross and he fell down. The, they forced or pressed into service Simon and Cyrene to carry Jesus' cross. But there were limitations. You, you could, they could force you to carry a pack one mile, but not two. And so here you are, here's this little Jewish boy, and the soldier comes, come carry my pack. And so you throw your hoe down, you go over there, and you pick up the pack, you give him the evil eye, and you start carrying his pack. And you carry, and you're kind of lagging behind because you're not really excited about doing it anyway. And you get the one, that little marker that you have one mile from your house because you set that marker there just for that purpose. And as soon as you hit that marker, you're not going one step further, you drop that pack, you turn around, and you head back to the house. And while you're heading back to the house, you're thinking to yourself, boy, I hope in another 10 years our nation's on top. I'll make those soldiers carry carry a ton 10 miles. And you get home, you kick the dog, you get in a fight with your sister, you get in trouble with your dad. It's a miserable afternoon. But then the next day, Jesus is in town. He's teaching people out on the hillside, and you hear about this. So you go to hear Jesus, and he says, If anyone forces you to carry the pack, one I'll carry it too. You don't like that very much, but you like Jesus. And so you start thinking about this what would that look like if i were to actually do what jesus said what would that look like because you're so impressed you're you're so impressed with the way jesus spoke and taught you know something special about that so you said maybe i just need to do something a little bit different so you think what would that look like in my life and you start contemplating that and sure enough a couple days later comes along another soldier hey boy come carry my pack yes sir be right there And you look up and and you go, okay, it's on. I'm ready. And you keep up with the soldier and you start talking about his family. You ask him about his family. You ask him about what it's like to be a soldier. You ask him about where he's traveled out around the world. And you blow by that first mile marker and you keep going. And you get close to two miles and the soldier stops. He says, look, you carry my pack far enough. That's okay. You don't have to go any further. He says, oh, I enjoyed it. I needed to break from what I was doing anyway. And the soldier Sticks his hand out, shakes your hand, says, Look, if you ever need a friend in the Roman army, count on me. And you go back home, have a wonderful evening with your family. Three days later, you get a little thank you card in the mail with a $50 bill in it from the soldier. Now, I, I exaggerate a little bit, but, but you'd be amazed how tensions can be eased, how things can be smoothed over when we, true, when we choose to return good for evil. It's it's what we've been called to do. It's what we are to to be about uh, as Christians. Yeah, will people take advantage of you? Yeah, they took advantage of Jesus. But you'd be amazed what can happen when you truly understand the principle that, that good can overcome evil. So, here's our verses, our passage that we're in, in Romans 12. Let's read through this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everybody's eyes. If possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So our principles that we've been looking at as we've been going through here. What you do, When you're wounded, what you do when you're hurt, when you're criticized, when you're insulted, when somebody takes a stand that's totally against what you believe, what you do at that moment is one of the most significant things you'll ever do as a Christian. Because if you respond the way that Scripture is calling us to respond, it shows you get it. It shows you understand the heart of God. Because that's what He did for us. Instead of ignoring us, instead of getting even with us, He sent Jesus Christ on the cross to be a blessing to us. That's principle number one. Principle number two. Christianity is not about pacifism. It's not about just, okay, you hurt me, I'll just let it go. It's, it's about an aggressive assault on evil with goodness because we know that goodness can overcome it. So how do we get there? What do we do? How do we do that? How do you get to the point where you can start carrying out these verses? You cannot react emotionally. You have to have a strategy. It's like that kid that wakes up in the morning and and is getting ready for school and says, Mom, can you carry me to school today instead of Dad? Well, yeah, I guess so, but why? Well, when Dad drives, there's always a lot more idiots on the road. Listen, you're never going to be able to avoid all the idiots, but you have to have a strategy in how to deal with difficult people. And that's what we've been looking at. As we've been going at Romans, uh, in, in here in Romans 12, the first thing he says, you have to manage your mouth. Okay, the thing about that, uh, it says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Uh, in other words, you have to watch what you say. It's not that you don't say anything, but you respond with a blessing instead. You say something good instead, you pray for them. The second thing we looked at last week, become an intentional understander. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So in other words, you become an unintentional understanding. You understand their feelings. You're going to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. You understand what they're going through, and you seek to understand what they're thinking. Don't be so proud as to say, I don't need to listen to what they say. It's more important than listen to what I say. Listen to what another person is thinking. And then the third thing we're going to look at today is this. We have to learn that repayment belongs to God. Here's the verse. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God. Now, let's look at some Old Testament illustrations of this. When David becomes king, he becomes a folk hero, I mean, right away. And within a few months, he's a proven warrior. Not only that, he marries Saul's daughter. Not only that, he's best friend with King Saul's son. So now all of a sudden, King Saul, he doesn't like him anymore. In fact, he tries to kill David, pushes him out of the palace. And then a little while later, here's what happens in 1 Samuel 24. When Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the wilderness near En Gedi. All right the guy I'm trying to kill. I know where he's at. So Saul took 3,000 of Israel's fit young men and went to look for David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. When Saul came to the sheep pens along the road, a cave was there and he went in to relieve himself. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. So they said to him, look, this is the day the Lord told you about. I will hand your enemy over so that you can do to him whatever you desire. Then David got up secretly and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. David has a chance to do to Saul exactly what Saul is trying to do to him. He has a chance to get even. And his men are saying, yes, this is it. They're encouraging him. This is your chance. This is not a coincidence. God set this up for you. You can get even. You can get vengeance on Saul. But David responds differently. David says, look, just because Saul is being disobedient to God, that doesn't mean I need to be. And while they're all giving him this this message of vengeance, it's time for you to get payback, David talks to them about reconciliation, about doing things differently. Here's what we read in just a few verses down. Look, my father, look at the corner of your road. So this is David Telling Saul, look, I had a chance to to kill you. Instead, I just cut off the edge of your robe. For I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. Recognize that I've committed no crime or rebellion. I haven't sinned against you, even though you were hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between me and you, and may the Lord take vengeance on you for for me. But my hand will never be against you. I'm not going to take vengeance. I'm not going to repay evil for evil. So he said, there's no way I'm going to do that. Now, here's the thing that I want you to understand. Vengeance is not bad. It's just not our job. Okay. God is going to make sure, as we just read, when David said, I'll let God do the avenging here. God is going to do the avenging. Don't worry about that. In fact, one of the names for God in the Bible is the God of vengeance. God of payback. Listen to what it says here. For a destroyer is coming against her, against Babylon. Her warriors will be captured, their bows shattered, for the Lord is a God of retribution. He will certainly repay. God's going to pay back. It's going to happen. We should have a burden for justice, but we shouldn't see ourselves as the distribution of justice. That's God's job. That's his role. And we're not authorized to park in his place. If the essence of salvation is God doing for us what we deserve, God putting, him in, God putting himself in a place that only we deserve, the essence of sin is us trying to put ourselves in a place that only God deserves to be. And that place is a place of vengeance. God doesn't say, vengeance is mine except in your case. But so often, that's what we seek to do. We seek to take out our own vengeance. We're not qualified to judge. Let me give you a couple of reasons, just two quick reasons why we're not qualified to judge. We're not qualified to judge because our knowledge is incomplete. We don't know the hearts of people. We don't know their motives. God does, but we don't. We think we know everything about that person and why they have those views, or why they did this, or 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 how why they hurt us. We think we know. We think we can judge their motives, but we can't. Our knowledge is incomplete. Not only is our knowledge incomplete, our love is incomplete. Because oftentimes, what we really want, we want payback. We're not trying to redeem anything. We want our enemies removed. We have the Jonah syndrome. Jonah, what did he want? He wanted Ninevites destroyed. He didn't want them to repent. He wanted them destroyed. That's oftentimes what we do. That's oftentimes our attitude. Isn't it true that for a lot of Christians, we'd rather see the homosexual agenda destroyed than a homosexual come to Christ? See, we work out a a, a retribution-type mindset. Our love is just not there where we want people to to come to Christ. More than we want to seek vengeance more than we want their views to change. We're not there yet. So, in 1 Samuel chapter 24, David refuses revenge. Instead, he says, this is God's job. I'm not going to do anything. And so he passes that test. That happens in in 1 Samuel 24. Well, in 1 Samuel 26, the same thing happens again. David has another chance to kill Saul. Saul. And his men, they react the same way. This is God. This is God. Get him. Get him. Let him have it. He's trying to kill you. You kill him first. And David, again, refuses to avenge himself. He says, that's not my job. That's God's job. So we have that happen in in chapter 24 and in chapter 26. But in chapter 25, somebody does evil against David. And now all bets are off. Now he's ready for revenge, and it seems like nothing is going to stop him. Here's what I need you to understand this morning. In some areas of life, we'll do great in these circumstances, but in that same area, in these different circumstances, we can fail miserably. For example, You may be humble at work, but full of pride at home. You may, as far as somebody insults you, and and, and they do that at, at, at school or on your job, you're just quiet. You won't insult them back, but you let that happen on social media, and boy, they get it. You see, we can be very good in this one area in this circumstance, but very terrible at it in this other area. If somebody, let's say at work, you have a boss and they're just not a good boss and you're tempted to you know, talk about them, to say bad things about them or, or things like that. Well, let's, let's let's change it just a little bit. Let's say you're at work and everybody else is talking bad about the boss. Everybody else is saying how terrible he is and how he shouldn't have that job. But when they're doing that, you don't join in. In fact, you'll say, yeah, well, I th- think he does a good job here. And You start saying good things about him. Everybody else is cutting him down and insulting him. You refuse to do that. In, in fact, you, you want to build him up or, you, or you'll go and you'll, have, you'll try to steer the conversation a different way. But when it comes to politics, all of a sudden things are different. Why is it that we don't mind or, or we, wouldn't, we wouldn't sit with another Christian in church and, and trade insult for insult and talk bad about them, but we don't mind doing it about other people? Why is it? And that's what's going on with David. In this situation, he does great, where it comes to King Saul is trying to kill him. But over here, this guy slides him some, and he's ready to take him out. So the story is Nabal. Nabal is a very wealthy man, but he's, he's mean spirited. And so in, in chapter 25, we read about this. We've got this great detail involved in this. It's sheep shearing time. Now back in that day, sheep shearing time, that's time to celebrate. Because now you're going to find out how much you're worth and it's payday for everybody. And so it's, it's, it's celebration time. David hears about this. Like Nabal, he's a rich man. Everybody, He's got all these, all these animals. So David hears about this. So David sends two of his guys to Nabal and they say, Nabal, here are things going well with you. Well, part of the reason that they're going so well for you is because our, our, our leader, David, and our men, we protected your stuff. We made sure robbers didn't come. We protected your stuff. We made sure that animals didn't come and destroy your sheep. So part of the reason that you're doing so well is because of us. How about a tip? Like a waitress would, would, would expect a tip. But Nabal says, David? He's just a little rebel broken away from his master and insults David and his men. They go back and tell David what Nabal said. And David says to his men, strap on your sword. We're going down there and we're going to kill everything that's male, and sell or keep everything that's female. And so he starts heading that direction. And what do people do when they get angry, when they want vengeance out? How do they respond? They rehearse it in their mind, don't they? They try and justify it. Well, listen to this. David just said, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. He was not missing anything, yet he paid me back evil for good. May God punish me and do so severely if I let any of his males survive in the morning. So you think he's, 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 he's helped justifying his attitude here? And so then a, a guy who heard this conversation between David and his men, he goes to tell Abigail, David's wife. And this is what he says to Abigail. He says, David's men, they were like a wall around us. They protected us. And they didn't hassle our shepherds. Not only that, they didn't take anything for themselves. So Abigail, she's assessing what's going on. And what you find is that David is saved by a woman. A lot of men have been saved by women. And that's what she's about to do. So she loads up all this stuff, all this food, and sends it toward David's way. Because there's this little ravine that he has to come through, so he's going through it. And she loads up all this stuff and sends it to David. And then what she does, she meets David, and she bows down before him, and she treats David, this is very important, like the man who she hopes he will be. You women have such power over men. You have no idea. You do this, and we know you're doing it, but it works anyway. It's like, okay, you can just tell us, I'm fixing to do that thing, and I do that thing. You're going to you go ahead and do this anyway. You can tell us what you're going to do. It doesn't matter. We fall for it every time. Oh, honey, you're so strong. I bet you can take a trash can in each hand out to the curb. But well, watch me, I can put one on each finger and carry it out there. You know, and and, and that's, what, that's what goes on here. So here's how this starts. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off the donkey, knelt down with her face to the ground, paid homage to David. This is a very wealthy uh, man's wife. She knelt down on his feet and said, The guilt is mine, my lord, but please let your servant speak to you directly. Listen to the words of your servant. My Lord should pay no attention to this worthless fool, Nabal, for he lives up to his name. His name means stupid, and stupidity is all he knows. I, your servant, this, this is for another marriage thing later on. We'll skip this part out. Uh, I didn't see my Lord's young man with whom you sent. So basically, says, hey, just, just forget about Nabal for a minute. Just forget about him. And then she plays her Jedi mind trick on him. Okay? Here's what she says. Now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, is the Lord who kept you from participating in bloodshed and avenging yourself by your own hand. This thing you're planning on doing, you're not going to do it. May your enemies and those who intend to harm you, may may they be like Nabal. So she's she's telling him him what what she's expecting him to be. And and David, he kind of goes right along with it. She gives him credit for, for being a, a better guy than, than, she actually, than he actually is. She says, Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord is certain to make a lasting dynasty for my Lord because he fights the Lord's battles throughout your life. May evil not be found in you. You're not an evil guy, David. You're not an evil guy. And then this. Someone is pursuing you. Everybody knew that Saul's after David. They all knew this. And intends to take your life. May Lord's li- My Lord's life is took safely in a place where the Lord your God protects the living. But he is flinging away your enemies' lives like stones from a sling. So she says, David, your life, and, and this is a word to be used to sort of like in God's wallet. It's in a very safe place. It's not going anywhere. And then she takes him back to when he was a boy and is flinging stones at Goliath. And she takes him back to that point where he's just a boy with a sling and dependent upon God as he's facing Goliath. Yeah. And then this. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed and may you be blessed today for you kept me from participating in bloodshed. She knows it's the wrong thing to do. She knows it's not right. Now let me back up because we got a verse right here that's missing. me read what in verse uh 30 when the lord does for my lord all the good he promised you and appoints you ruler over israel there will not be remorse or trouble conscious for my Lord because of needless bloodshed or my Lord's revenge. And when the Lord does good things for my Lord, may, may, may you remember me, your servant. What she's saying is that, David, when you become king, you're going to have a story to tell. How did you get to be king, David? Well, I went around slaughtering people, and they were so afraid of me, they made me king. So he's saying, David, you go, you're going to look back on this. And you have a story to tell, and you don't want that to be a story of vengeance. And at this point, David's heart's melted. It's completely melted. And that's when he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you to meet me today. May your discernment be blessed, and may you be blessed today because you kept me from participating in bloodshed and avenging myself by my own hand. Look what you've done, Abigail, for me. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who prevented me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, Nabal wouldn't have had any males left by morning light. Then David accepted what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. See, I've heard what you said and I've granted your request. In other words, there's not any harm going to come to you. I'm not going to wipe you out. And so she goes home and she's ready to tell Nabal what's going on, what's, what's happened. But Nabal, remember this is celebration time. He's drunk. So she says, eh, why bother? I'll wait till in the morning. And she tells him in the morning what she did and what went on, how how everybody was just about to be wiped out. And Nabal, he goes into like a coma for 10 days and then he dies. Because God is able to take vengeance, right? That's his place, and he can do that. And so what does she do right away? She she, as soon as Nabal dies, she has just a short time of mourning. She goes and marries David and lives happily ever after. Well, I'm making up that last part. She doesn't live happily ever after because if you understand what goes on, she becomes one of David's wives. And nobody lives happily ever after when you're one of somebody's wife. Okay. But here's the thing. Nabal wanted to return evil for good. Don't do that. David wanted to return evil for evil. Don't want to do that. It was Abigail that put him back on the track of returning good for evil. So, just like David or Abigail tells David, look, you're going to have a story to tell one day. What's it going to be? Tell me, what's it going to be? what story are you going to tell? What story are you going to tell? What are you going to do? What's going to happen to you and what are you going to do when you have that chance to respond? Let me put it to you this way. What would it look like for you to return good for evil? What would that look like in your home? What would that look like where you work or at school? What would that look like at church? What would that look like in in the political world, in our political election climate that we have going on? What would that look like? To return good for evil. You need to let that sink in. Because that is exactly what we read two weeks ago. That's what we've been called to do. That's what we are to be about. That, more than anything else, how you answer that question more than anything else, shows the effect that the cross has had upon you. It shows you get the heart of God. So have a strategy. Because you're going to have an opportunity to do this. Manage your mouth. Become an intentional understander and realize that vengeance it belongs to God. That's not your place. So we have this great salvation. Has it had an effect on your life? To the point where you get this. Where you understand it. And then you're able to do these things that we look at. We want to blow these off today. We can give excuse after excuse after excuse why it doesn't apply to us. But so many times what we read is the word everyone. We don't read any exceptions in this. The first couple of weeks we were looking at this, we saw how, how Peter, how, how, how Paul, how Jesus, how them encourages time and time again and says, This is the heart of what we are to be about. And there are no exceptions on whether you know the person or not. There are no exceptions on whether it's on social media or not. It's what we're expected to do, it shows that we get it. So let the cross penetrate your life, be a people be a people who know what it's like to say I believe that when I see evil I'm going to assault it with goodness I'm going to have aggressive assault on it for my life with goodness because I believe that good can overcome evil thus we have the cross don't we because that's the heart of what God has done for us Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.